0: Ever had the feeling you're destined to do something big, but you weren't sure what? Because maybe it has never existed yet. You are in the right place. This is the Pagan Monastery Podcast, and I'm your host, Danica Boyce. We know by now what we don't want, so let's start building the traditions, the rituals, and the sacred places that we do want. I believe that with clarity of purpose and love, we can do absolutely anything together. On this podcast, you'll find heaps of inspiration for touching into your innately abundant nature while you follow and help create the unfolding story of how together we established the first pagan monastery in Europe. It's coming. We deserve it. So let's get building. This episode is sponsored by my upcoming mini-course called Write to Inspire, which I'll be teaching live over four days from March 28th until March 31st, 2022. I am a really good writer, and I haven't always been. I used to have a really hard time focusing my effort to convince other people of things in particular. Since those days, I've produced a popular podcast for several years, I grew an Instagram following of over 11,000 people, and I also grew a successful online teaching business, all of which involved... A lot of writing. Now, my writing consistently inspires people to action, whether that action is to reflect on their place in the world, to love themselves more, or to invest money into a course or business mentorship with me. Behind every inspiring social media post, email, or podcast episode, there is a careful writer. And if you're interested in the well being of the people you're aiming to influence with your writing, well, then it takes even more care. In Write to Inspire, I'll share the tools that make my writing impactful. First, flow, how to dream up and structure your creations. Second, empathy, how to center your audience's experience of your writing. Third, risk, how to share your genuine truth while holding firm boundaries. And on the fourth day, I'll share examples of writing from actual participants in the course and make suggestions for edits that they could use to streamline and superpower their message. Want to make your posts, emails, podcasts, and other writing a motivation machine for people? then click the link in the show notes for more information or to sign up, or if you're listening after March, you can purchase the replay there as well. Please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Pagan Monastery podcast. I want to tell you a story today, another story. I know the last episode was a story about an appearance of the divine, and here is another one for you. I can never get enough examples to give about how we can always be looking for encouragement in our life where we can be looking for presence and support from the world and the divinity innate in it. Just this week, I decided to spend a day just visioning for the future of the monastery, getting into the dream state and getting inspired without so much attention to the practical details for a little while to give myself some space to be inspired. And so I thought, you know, it's kind of weird that I haven't yet made a Pinterest board for the pagan monastery. And I sat down at my favorite coffee shop with a coffee and a nice like tahini, caramel, gluten-free square. And I started pinning, finding images of architecture that I felt would contribute to my imagining of this space. So I found monasteries, I found Scandinavian architecture that echoed earlier building themes in pagan times. Really interested in wooden buildings, particularly because wood is such an important element in pagan belief and tradition in Europe. Um, not even necessarily intentionally so at the time, it was just such an omnipresent element but it was very much an expression of divinity because in a lot of germanic and celtic areas groves were the places that people conventionally had rituals places that were considered sacred and the divine was often imagined in the shape or the home of a tree not to mention yggdrasil the world tree in norse mythology Trees are extremely important to pagan spirituality in pre-Christian times, and they are a wonderful door through which you can step now to experience that sense of really tactile presence of the divine and how it's intersecting with the world. So wooden architecture, to me, has a particularly strong resonance when I'm thinking about creating gathering spaces For pagans living trees and the material that they so generously contribute to our lives. I'm sure the topic of trees and wood will emerge again on this podcast, but I wanted to say that to preface. I was looking through these images of older wooden architecture, and of course, I found an image of Hedal Stave Church, which is in Telemark, Norway. And if you don't know what a stave church is, I highly recommend you Google it. They're an extremely distinctive Scandinavian style of building that also existed in Iceland in the Middle Ages, though none of those remain. So I was reading the history of how it was built, and there is a legend concerning this particular church that has echoes in many places around Scandinavia and beyond in Europe in general. The story goes that there was a man named Red Regan, who was responsible for creating this church, or came up with the idea. I'm not sure what his role was exactly, but he was initiating the project. Maybe he was the foreman. Maybe he was the farmer who owned the land. Red Regan began to build the church, and as he was beginning, a troll came by. And this troll was a large troll. If that's not something you know about trolls, I understand that they tend to be large. It was a giant troll. And he was not familiar with Red. Red was not familiar with him. Nonetheless, he offered to assist Red in building the church, but he had three ways that Red could pay him. He had some conditions that were, as you might imagine, legendary in scale. He asked Red to either, by the end of the construction, bring him the sun and the moon or his own heart's blood or Red could simply guess the troll's name. And Red figured this was a pretty good deal. (laughs) He was very likely to be able to guess the name of this troll before the end of construction, which you may imagine with a church of that scale, he probably thought this might take several years. Nonetheless, at midnight on the second day, Red noticed that the troll was nearly finished the construction of the stave church. In distress because he knew that he couldn't fetch the sun and the moon, nor did he want to give up all of his heart's blood. Red ran out into the fields, wailing, clutching his head, and asking God for help in solving this problem. How would he ever find out the troll's name? As he stepped out into the field, he heard a beautiful woman's voice singing, and the woman was singing a song to a baby. And she was a troll woman. And she said, don't worry, little baby. Your father, Finn, will be back very soon with the heart of a man as a gift for you. I forgot to mention that, <laughs> that he had promised in return, if he couldn't meet his end of the deal, that the troll would cut out his heart. So, read... Observed that this troll woman was obviously the wife of the troll whose name was Finn and ran back to the construction site and addressed the troll by his name, Finn, thanking him for his work. And of course, the troll put down his tools and walked away, um, distraught that he hadn't managed to trick the man. Nonetheless, most of the stave church was completed at that point, and I understand that there were three. Pillars of the same height and a fourth one of a slightly shorter height or some such measurement, and that was attributed to the fact that just before completion, Red came back shouting Finn's name, and he didn't complete the job. But most of it was done in two and a half days. So here's where the story starts to relate to my life. I got really curious about this, you know, helper figure in building this amazing wooden religious structure because as you can imagine, that relates to my interests very closely. And so I opened the Wikipedia page related to this figure, the Finn Troll. And as I was reading further, it said, in addition to the Hedal Church, several other buildings have been attributed to this same figure or a similar figure in very similar legends, one of which is the Lund Cathedral, which is in southern Sweden. And it said that The troll in that case sometimes also called a giant also named finn almost the exact same story and it said that the bodies of the troll and his wife were both petrified in the basement of the cathedral and that they were carved into pillars and as i was reading this it struck a chord with me i had this memory that i had been in december in the basement of Lund Cathedral in southern Sweden. And we had met these carved figures that were about a thousand years old and wondered about what they were, because we knew there was some story about how they were giants, um, that there was this one figure, he was, his face is almost worn off. He's like a very kind of creepy looking giant carved into this pillar in the basement where all of the crypts are, and then another figure that is interpreted to be a woman with a baby crouched at the foot of another pillar. We almost hadn't visited Lund Cathedral. It was a couple of days after Christmas, and I was visiting, my partner and I were visiting our friend and her family, and we wanted to go to Lund to see an open-air museum with a lot of old timber architecture, but because the cathedral is, you know, a big massive stone Christian construction, it was a little less interesting to us. But um, my friend's dad had insisted that we check out the church because it had this amazing mechanized medieval cuckoo clock. But what really struck us were these giants in the basement. And so that connected for me as I was reading it, that I'd had this, this really you know, at the moment, totally just mysterious and not particularly notable experience, even though we were very intrigued, we took a lot of photos, we didn't see any information about it at the time, so we didn't know what it really meant. But not only is there this story that this supernatural pagan figure assisted in the construction of these amazing Christian pagan sort of synthesized buildings all across Scandinavia, and his name also echoes further into the British Isles as well, you may know about Finn McCool. Not only is there this really cool figure that I learned about who's like the pagan patron of Christian buildings, which is totally wild, but I'd also met him, you know, and touched him and visited and taken photos and been in this place, like of all of the places that I could have visited, you know, in the couple of days after Christmas and a little vacation in Sweden, I visited exactly this place, and exactly this room of this place and exactly this figure. So there's two things I'd like you to draw out of this story, aside from what naturally arises in you, what you might get out of it without my influence. One of them is the fact that It's obvious from stories like this that there is a deep awareness that transcends time that doesn't really matter what era it is because these stories come and go. The knowledge that place itself is powerful and has personality. There's a creative force innate in the land that can't be erased, can't be built on top of, can't be built over. And no matter how massive the stone cathedral you build on top of it is, you're going to need its permission and its help if you want your enterprise to succeed. I really love how Scandinavian churches share this story. And there is a general trend in folklore, a very strong trend to associate places with a particular spirit, which you can hear much more about in my previous podcast episode on Fair Folk about household spirits. It's called Gnome for Christmas. And that's the most popular episode the podcast ever had. So I'll link that in the show notes if you want to hear more about household spirits, particularly. But there's something more to it, too. It's this fact that Christianity, no matter how big its monuments, no matter how big its reach, no matter how much it tries to literally take over the world, it can't forget its pagan roots. In fact, it seems to know that it requires them, not just that, you know, there was a moment of interaction or of vanquishing, and then they're gone, like those figures of St. George slaying the dragon, which are initially based on stories of Thor fighting dragons, the, the world serpent. And then there's this earlier Indo-European route that goes back to India. The fact is, Christianity incorporated many aspects of paganism, and And it knows that, and there's something really interesting I realized as I was doing some reading about paganism a couple of years ago, and that's the fact that Christianity never actually claimed that pagan gods and spirits weren't real. It simply called them demons, it simply called them devils or the devil and encouraged people to ignore them. It called pagan worship demon worship or devil worship. It never said... These beings don't exist because they just do, right? Like it's it's self-evident and it takes like an entire lifetime of denying what you innately know about place, about life and the world to actually convince yourself that they don't exist and that they aren't speaking to you and that they aren't powerful. Christianity has to create this complex of stories about people tricking the spirits connected to the land or connected to paganism in order to tame them into building this church. And it almost makes me curious about what would happen if the building, the temple, the monastery that someone was undertaking wasn't trying to suppress paganism, wasn't trying to trick it into labor. How much easier might, might the process be, might there not have to be this sort of foundation sacrifice of the pagan figure, who's then, in the case of the Finn in the basement of the Lund Cathedral, is then petrified into the foundations. And that's another aspect of folklore that is present across Europe, is, is literally called the foundation sacrifice. Depending on the region and the time, different animals from, say, a snake to a cat to a human child might be sacrificed in the foundation of a building in order to, say, tame or um, encapsulate the power of the land and its beings that came before the building, which is a pretty dominating and like horrible way to think about interacting with a spirit. What it suggests to me is that there is an alternative to that way of interacting with land spirits that collaborates with them, as opposed to simply suppressing and appropriating their power. Moreover, a lot of Christian monuments and cathedrals, some of the largest ones especially, were built upon pagan sacred sites very intentionally. And I remember visiting the cathedral in Vilnius in Lithuania, which is like this insanely massive structure full of insane marble carvings of of saints and this place too was built on a pagan temple i found out afterwards which kind of blew my mind because i also had a tour of the crypts there and nobody mentioned that they chose as the site for their most holy most revered saints to be buried forever the place that was most literally a pagan temple Secondly, what I find really salient personally that I want to share with you and I hope is what you'll be able to take away from this episode today and apply in your own life is just the sentiment that you can trust in the divine, that you can trust in the reality and the presence of guiding figures of great power. They might not always be helpful or interested in helping you. Just like any other being or any human that you know, there are obviously like boundaries and consent to be managed, but their reality is not in question and that it is constantly trying to communicate with you. We can talk about this on a scientific level as well, if you like. I often think about Darwinian evolutionary theory and the way that it has been used and interpreted in our culture since The Origin of Species was published. We have tended to imagine and extract from that text the assumption that evolution occurs, so that is like growth and change of species in adaptation to the environment, that it occurs as a result of random mutation combined with competitive advantage. So if you take a purely scientific worldview and you're in this Darwinian context or the way that it's been used historically, and you'll probably recognize this as just like a part of popular culture, the belief that survival of the fittest is how nature works, If you take this as your baseline of reality, you will believe that every being, every aspect of this material, spiritual, intermixed earth is in direct competition with every other aspect of it for limited resources. And you can call this a zero-sum mentality. It's like a zero-sum game where every win detracts from the other team so that always the end result is a score of zero total but of course the earth is not a zero sum game and the distribution of resources is not based on fighting off of other people who are or other creatures or beings that are different from you and if you believe that it extremely negatively impacts not only the earth as we've seen the belief humans are in competition with nature uh, the human mind is in competition with spirituality science is in competition with spirituality it also affects your quality of life in an extreme degree i've been reading a book by lisa miller i've only just started but i heard a podcast episode with her which was brilliant on the rich roll podcast and i'll link that below if you'd like the short version but she is a neuroscientist from Columbia University who found with her team an incredible data set when they were uh, mostly analyzing brain scans. They found that someone who had a spiritual practice that was important to them, that they'd mentioned this on their survey, was 40 to 80% less likely than a person who doesn't consider spirituality very important to them, 40 to 80% less likely to develop clinical depression or substance addiction. And this is far and above any other intervention or treatment or prevention model, that spirituality is the single most potent factor in determining your mental health, which is quite just like astounding, and I feel like I have to repeat it to myself to really believe it that our belief that the world is not neutral and indifferent to us or in this zero-sum mentality hostile to us, our belief that the world is inhabited by intelligent life that has our best interests at heart and is interested in collaborating with us will literally save your life. And beyond that, it will secure your quality of life. So we're not just in this fight for survival at all times, if we can imagine that there is something beyond that, that there's something better to be reached for, that flourishing is actually possible and the ultimate goal. We don't shoot ourselves in the foot by believing that we're just trying to fight off the nearest thing for success and triumph. We're not trying to stomp the dragon underfoot, so to speak, like those images of St. George, in order to prevail in glory that we actually can coexist with all aspects of reality that present themselves to us, and that we can interpret them positively, and that that is actually the biggest factor in how successful we will be, not only as individuals, but of course, as humankind on the planet. And it seems to me that this zero-sum worldview that comes from the belief in competition, the belief in survival of the fittest is also opposed to spiritual thinking, simply because it is considered like a waste of time. It's considered frivolous in a world where material resources are understood to be the highest good, because we're just aiming for survival. We're just aiming so low that we can't imagine, we don't don't have the luxury to imagine that life could be multidimensional in its scope, that it could be supporting us on levels that we can't see with our blizzard brains in fear. And so the way that you can invite this spiritual practice into your life, one of the simplest ways that doesn't require any doctrine or dogma whatsoever, is to be open to receiving messages from the divine to put aside your fear of seeming naive or frivolous or even crazy and just allow yourself to receive support from the divine in any way you can find it. So this is what this story is a salient example of. I could have just sailed past this piece of research that I did and said, oh, what a weird coincidence and left it at that. But instead... I'm going to take it as an incredible sign, an affirmation that I'm doing something meaningful and that there are figures that span time that are signaling to me that they're present and that they're supportive. And I'm very curious about how this story is going to be integrated into this monastery project. It may end here just as a sign that there is an endless supply of Earth energy that is supportive of this, or maybe it will become an inspiration for a fund that will support the project. Maybe it will be the, the Finn Giant Fund. I'm not sure, but I'm open to finding out what the next step is by staying open in this way. So, to have a spiritual experience, all you need to do is to allow yourself at some moment in the day to feel neutral and open to having one. You can signal to the world or to the spirits or to the gods that you are available for guidance, that you're available for a signal, an experience, a symbol. And that's when you will receive them (laughs) shortly thereafter. Before this experience, the day before, I was sitting in the hot tub at the pool here, looking up at the sky, and I said, I am available to receive support from the gods. And I felt it, you know, and I felt that opening in my heart, that availability that is sometimes so scary just to admit to yourself, but it's 100% the key, you won't receive things <laughs> that you're not available to receive. So it's almost as much for yourself as for the beings outside of you that you want to speak to, to say words like, I'm open to receiving messages from divinity right now, or from the gods, or from the spirits. You can say it after me if you like. Take a deep breath. I'm open to receiving guidance now. I'm open to receiving guidance now. I'm open to receiving some guidance now. I am from a literary background, I did three degrees associated with English, and I remember a phrase that stuck out to me, (laughs) describing critical literature of the last hundred years, maybe since the 40s or something. And it was the phrase, a hermeneutics of suspicion. And hermeneutics is simply the interpretation of texts. Suspicion is the belief that there's something hidden (laughs) that you need to root out, And this is what we've been operating in, in academia for some time, the belief that there's hidden meaning, and that the surface is going to be an illusion, and that meaning itself is hidden underneath, and that we should be suspicious of our initial impressions of something. And I think this partly comes from Freud, who believes that our experiences are coded by some subconscious beliefs, usually about sexuality and our parents, you might be familiar But I just want to take this phrase, hermeneutics of suspicion, and compare it to how we've been experiencing metaphysics. So that's the belief in the spiritual world beyond just the physical or like not so visible in the physical, which is kind of a problematic term itself too, kind of unclear. But I feel like we've been existing in a metaphysics of suspicion. We have been hypervigilant for many centuries trying to make sure that our experience of the divine is mediated properly, and that we only get the official authorized meaning from it. So that started with Christianity, with this idea that there has to be intermediaries between us and our experience of the divine, and that the divine has to be a really specific character who's like a white guy in the sky. And then it continued through the scientific revolution with this fear of the irrational which is often gendered and considered feminine as well. So this also suppressed a lot of feminine religious experience. What I'm saying is I want us to observe when we are having a metaphysics of suspicion experience, when we're doubting our own direct line to divine inspiration – And to replace it with an openness and a willingness to receive what might be coming. Of course, within our own natural boundaries, I'm not saying like open yourself up to experiences with terrifying ghosts or something. You can look for the kinds of experiences and welcome the kinds of experiences that you know will be personally inspiring to you. And then you will be surprised by them when they come because you didn't invent them. but you will have been responsible for inviting them all the same. Divinity constantly presents itself to us in our encounters with the world. And there's a new evolutionary theory that's been emerging that most of us don't hear about in our high school education, for example, that is called symbiogenesis. And this theory was developed with some evidence from the microbiologist Lynn Margulis, And the word symbiogenesis means becoming by living together, literally. So there is a new also scientific model emerging for interpreting how we grow as a collaborative and collective effort with all levels of reality visible and invisible. So the question I have for you to ask yourself in moments when you're feeling less spiritually connected Am I operating from a metaphysics of denial, protection, competition, and suspicion? And how would it feel? Am I willing to move into operating from a metaphysics of collaboration, of openness, of awareness, and of willingness to participate and willingness to receive? If you do this practice in the next few days and you have any sparks of inspiration or visitations from gods or spirits in these kinds of coincidental ways that I'm describing, I would love to hear about it feel free to contact me on Instagram and let me know and I can share your story as well. I hope that this account and this episode has been inspiring for you, that you feel a little more free and a little more supported as a result of listening to it. And I'm curious to see if this Finn figure comes up for any of you as well in the process. It's my belief and my experience that Devotion to or interaction with the gods or other figures like them can be undertaken in ways just like this that they love to be considered, that they love to be spoken about, and the more that we speak about them, the more that they appear to us. So I wouldn't doubt at all if this episode yields several more giant or troll fin encounters in the coming weeks. I so much appreciate your presence here. Just knowing that you will go out and have a different experience tomorrow than perhaps you had the day before is such an encouragement to me. I'll be back soon with another episode. And if you're interested in joining my course, my mini course on writing next week, please click the link in the show notes to check it out. I'm actually really excited to teach a course on writing, which I realize I've never really done, even though that is one of the main aspects of what I do. And if I do say so myself, I have a pretty good skill with it. If you're listening any time after March, you can also use the link in the show notes to access a recording of that course. It will be available afterwards. I'm offering it live, but it will be recorded. So you can use the same link if you'd like to go and take that course retrospectively. I know it's going to be amazing. (laughs) So I hope to see you there. And if not, I'll see you online and I'll be in your ears shortly with the next episode in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for listening today. If this episode touched or inspired you, it would mean a great deal to me if you rated and positively reviewed it and you shared it on social media, email, or regular old snail mail. Your support is invaluable to this project. If you want to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at danica.voice, or you can email the podcast and the Pagan Monastery project directly at paganmonastery at gmail.com. Thank you to Kira Kira for her track, The Only Way Out Is In, which appeared in this episode. To purchase Kira Kira's music, please visit the link in the show notes, and you can also find her on Instagram at kira kira Thank you to Gadus Marqua Ensemble for the opening theme music to the Pagan Monastery podcast. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.